0: Hi, this is Sasha Hodler, and you're listening to Art on the Blockchain, the best crypto art and crypto music podcast you'll ever hear.
1: Yo. Crypto on the rise. We got it, so let's work and laugh in the faces of so-called experts. Embrace freedom from regulation if you dare, prepare for the launch of arcs and super rare. See the banks want to bleed you, make you a soul slave. I'm rocking with Codex, the homie Jess Holgrave. For centuries, governments had norms, but now we're latched on to the Providence platform. My artistry is celebrated, hear the vets speak and celebrate with us in May. Creative Tech Week, catch me beta on the scene on the blockchain episode 14 need money you don't want to do a drop what's up dude
2: now I'm in the middle of a game and I'd actually like to think about what I'm gonna say This is Jimmy Song. You're listening to Art on the Blockchain.
0: Hey, everybody, this is Tatiana Moroz, and I'm coming to
2: you from Art on
3: the
1: Blockchain, the place for creatives to come and hang in the crypto space. Yo, this is Joe Looney, tuned into the crypto creative podcast Art on the Blockchain with hosts Cynthia Gayden and Jay Skriller.
3: Hello, everyone. This is Jessica Angel from Art Project Decentralized. You guys are listening to Art on the Blockchain Podcast, hosted by Jay Skrilla and Cynthia Eton.
0: This, 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 this is Thea Goodman. You're now listening to Art on the Blockchain Podcast, crypto creative style, with your two hosts, Cynthia Gatner Jay Skrilla. Get me with <laughs> uh, it. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. 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 All right. That was K-Beta, again, breaking down another freestyle crypto music jam. For y'all's enjoyment. We haven't had one of those in a um, couple of weeks, an exclusive one. That's, 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 that's because all of my friends are in jail right now. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's a whole other podcast It's <laughs> all jokes yeah. It's not the way
3: to do it We
1: have a great show coming up today uh, We're going to interview Jess Holgrave from Codex Protocol It's a uh, blockchain based uh, provenance database I guess, right?
3: Yeah, title registry
1: So uh, we're going to break down that and find out all about that You know, she's been traveling the country a lot So she made time for us today uh, So that'll be good
3: yeah, she just just got back, I think, from Asia. So you know, it's uh, I think it's a five six hour difference. So we're really glad that she's going to be able to make some time for us because I'm sure she wants to get some sleep.
1: Yeah, I wanted to uh, talk about a couple of things. I've gotten a few things in the mail, some art stuff, and uh, I guess I want to kind of drop that, talk about it a little bit. Um, I wanted to shout out Crypto Chainer who sent me some rare Pepe limited edition playing cards and these are like um, a deck of 52 you know um, legit yeah they're very good quality and they have um, the Pepe's he's done in card form and I guess you order a card I'm not sure which card you order but you order a card and he sends it to you (laughs) you sign a message back I think with your address Uh, you can talk to him he's at CryptoChainer on Twitter and Telegram and uh, there's a limited edition I think like 110 of these playing cards and you get a card with it and uh, yeah so I appreciate that he also sent me a couple physical cards he's been making physical uh, trading cards uh, with blockchain and putting the uh, like the private key kind of on on not uh, not the private key on the back with a sticker that I guess, leads to the private key I haven't actually done it yet so I'm not all the way sure but very cool, thank you, Crypto Chainer um, Also, uh, one of our guests from, I think, episode 10 uh, The legendary cryptograffiti, Sent us some uh, stickers, a sticker pack uh, Very cool stickers um,
3: Iconic yeah.
1: Yeah. So I put some on my laptop today I still got to give some to Cynthia here And uh, pass them out to some people at our event On April 21st in D.C., at George Washington University. We're doing part two of Intro to Crypto Music and Crypto Art. Um, We did part one in Atlanta this past Sunday at Sheer Love, shout out to Mimi. The event wasn't like totally packed out or anything, but the people who came um, definitely enjoyed it. They expressed how much they learned and I think they're all going down the rabbit hole. Uh, it, was, uh, it was awesome. Um, the the space was awesome. The food, the beverages. It was on a goat farm. There's chickens and roosters and <laughs> and, um, and in the middle of Atlanta. Yep. So it was pretty crazy.
3: I'd recommend people go there if you've got any interest in looking at a little. You know, they had llamas and the you know, all kinds of kinds of creatures. And uh, and then the historical value. It's apparently, it's on the historical register. Uh, so that's kind of cool so if you if you're looking for something to do in Atlanta and you just think of it as you know
1: can you just go there though I don't know you might th- be telling th- people like, yeah? that you can I you
3: can not just go there but you know they have there are cameras
1: yeah because <laughs> people live there it's like work live workspaces and there's a lot of um it's like, car- like welders carpenters artists team makers uh, Mimi has a hair salon studio um I think she said there's a rapper in the studio there
3: yeah
1: um it's like crazy it's like a community arts center um in an old farm and um they're building like high-rise condos around it so we don't know how long it's going to last but it, it's a really cool 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 space
3: and so you can live and do your work because the living spaces i think you have to you have to have it's secured mm. uh, so we do have to this some element of security on the space um, and there are cameras everywhere
1: <laughs> yeah So that was cool um, good event part 2 like I said this D- DC April 21st we also have Jim Waugh is coming to talk he has a protocol thing um, that he's doing
3: I think it's video
1: sign up to that oh uh, uh, yeah and um, we'll have a link at the bottom of this podcast in our notes section um, I signed up recently I'm putting out my uh, can't smoke a bitcoin video and he's going to help with, the, with, the, with with that video on the platform. Basically, you get paid through Twitter clicks um, and then cryptocurrency. Um, me and him talked for about an hour a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the idea sounded real cool. It's um, I think it can be applied to many different social media places eventually, or maybe it can, but it's not all the way active yet, but Twitter for sure. He's doing it, and he's got like real brands and real companies that are advertising on it. Like some, <laughs> excuse me, some like Cluck. I don't. It's not you Chicken, but some kind of chicken um, place that's big in the South, I think. Uh, retail chain and um, a couple other things. He's he's been in the uh, marketing game uh, for a while, so he's moved. He's, uh he's helped he's helped do this video thing, so.
3: It should be pretty. It sounds really interesting. It was yeah. hard to get my head around yeah, yeah. around it because you know the the idea of using social media and and getting attention and how do you you know develop your business models around it, uh, getting and maintaining and keeping attention is very interesting. But there are because there are obviously many many organizations, especially uh, social media, trying to do that. But he's trying to come up with a a little uh, more structured. Uh, business approach. So, I'm kind of excited to hear what he what he has to say. Yeah, boy, boy,
2: boy, 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 boy.
3: yeah so the the title of his um, presentation is video driving progress through creativity. So, I'm really interested in because in, the first time I talked to him was back in January, so of course many many things have probably Uh, changed since then, so I'm looking forward to hearing.
1: Yeah, he seems really active on this stuff, and, uh, you know, he has (laughs) basically, you pay uh, the the retailer or whatever, whoever wants to put ads on your video, it's just like a watermark type thing they will embed in your video on Twitter, you know, they put up like, say, they bid on it through his platform so if you have a video that people think is going to be hot you'll have a number of idea anyways have a number of people bidding to see who gets that placement and then you as the um, content creator can go with a a lower bid if you know it's like some something more interesting to you like makes more sense for your video or you can just go for the money take the high bid from like the fast food establishment one or whatever and no disrespect Ruining your (laughs) sponsorship. We all go to them. (laughs) It's just how I talk. Anyway. um, But yeah. so uh, It's cool. So Check it out. Uh, We'll definitely have Jim on a future podcast. Maybe when he's down here we can get him in the studio too. Uh, We'll see. Uh, But he'll be speaking at that event as well. On April 21st. Um, I would definitely recommend you come out. Some people were speculating that people don't want to come to these crypto conferences lately because the price is down and I think that's hogwash (laughs) the price is still up from a year ago it's even up more from two years ago I mean it's totally up it's down a little bit or it's down a lot in the last three months but I don't know if you noticed but it was a giant huge huge (laughs) massive motherfucking giant explosion of price that had to come down So I'm sorry for the people that bought into Bitcoin at 18,000 and Ethereum at 1,200 and Dash at 1,500. You know, that sucks. You guys probably didn't do a lot of the research, but stick with it. This isn't what it's all about. We're here to teach you, not teach you, but talk about how um, artists and musicians can earn with crypto, can gain from the technology, etc. Stick with it. It's a long ride ride
3: so. it's not going anywhere anytime soon
1: yeah, yeah you know so i don't know don't i i met some guy in atlanta that um after the conference and he was telling me he put in like half the money his in-laws came to buy a house oh. at the top oh. of the market oh and <laughs> that's not the only story i've heard like that and it's just it's depressing it's not the way
2: to do it because
1: you know a lot of people got the notion that you just put your money in and magically it goes up, but that's what the market makers want you to think. And at the time that they decided this is the end of the new fish coming in, and they're gonna slam the door and shake you out. So uh, I'm not an investor like that. Don't I don't want to give you investment advice, but I wouldn't take your $18,000 Bitcoin and sell it for $6,000 right now. You're smart. Bello. 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 Um, Like everything on this show, nothing is investment advice. Um, So we're uh,
3: we're not a paternalistic, maternalistic organization. We hope that everybody is uh, is interested in figuring out their own futures.
1: (laughs) So um, I want to talk to you some more. So we got cryptography sent us. Also, I bought a, a a piece off an artist on Twitter, and he's from France. And he didn't have uh, um, English translation on his site, and it was like the hardest thing ever to buy. But it was the uh, Last Supper um, Bitcoin related. Wait, I don't know. You could see it on Google. Um, I've seen it before, the image. But it's a fi- it, there's 15 prints he put out, and I bought one. I'm trying to find his name. It is at U design. No, at Yul design. That's uh, Y O U L design. Uh, he makes some cool stuff. Um, you walked me through the process after I didn't re- figure I didn't know how to read French, but um, yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, anybody who wants to send us stuff to talk about, that's great. You know, let's, let's call this a here here with us. Us. Send us your blockchain goods, and we'll draw. You know, if they're cool, we'll talk about them a little bit. Sure. Um, And also, shout out to Mike in Space. He sent over some uh, stickers for our uh, events. So, on April 21st, come out, and there will be some Crypto Graffiti stickers. There will be some Mike in Space stickers. There will be some awesome stickers done by another guy, Mr. Geordie Robot.
3: (laughs) Jordy Bot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, that made some... some stickers of for our podcast, AOTB stickers. Uh, he's got two uh, series out. He's giving us a bunch, we giving away. Uh, maybe he'll even be there that y'all can meet him in person.
3: You sign a couple of them.
1: You can sign them, yeah. make them
3: exclusive.
1: Yeah. So shout out <laughs> to him as well. Probably in the top five blockchain news.
3: Yep, this week is going to be more knowledge based than news based because it was just last week that we had a podcast. A lot, not so much, not a lot of news since then, other than the things that we just we just talked about. But I wanted to um, just give you some links to some articles and, and things that have been uh, written that you might find helpful or at least interesting on april 8th an article was uh posted called five ways blockchain technology is changing how art is made by Stephen buchko on coin central um he mentioned quite a few projects that um Skrill has already it, it put as part of his presentation, but I wanted to give you all uh, the the benefit of that knowledge. Uh, projects mentioned include anime coin, it's anime related digital items, of course crypto kitties, plantoids, IAMA coin, which was created by Kevin Abosh or Abosh. It's secured in blood. So that's Makes it, you know, verifiably rare. The Scarab project, where a thousand artists collaborated to create, or are collaborating to create, one AI art piece. And if you contribute to the piece, you're entitled to a Scarab token, tradable on Counterparty, which is, is kind of cool. Uh, of course, Cura cards mentioned. Sothicorn's Steam account. Um, if you submit to Sothicorn, uh, you receive a small amount of Steam. So I have a, a link to that article. Um, next thing April 5th 2018 something that I've been following is Pineapple Arcade this looks like a lot of fun and the art's really cool and I'm a fan of um, Neon District this this, I have not played the game but the art looks really cool you can the article is called Play Crypto Games for Free they, by Samara Samara Malkin um, this Pineapple Arcade is created by the Pineapple Fund using their developers Neon, Neon District Lots of prizes in participating in this or playing on this arcade game: 250 ether provided by the Pineapple Fund, a thousand dollars to charity. Oh, sorry, hundred, hundred thousand. oh hundred thousand for charity, also provided by Pineapple Fund. That's that's their mission. Pineapple Fund is a is a charity shop. Ten bitcoin provided by Pineapple Fund. One bitcoin also provided by Pineapple Fund. Fifteen um, ether provided by Neon District. 75 Neon District trophies provided by Neon District. Uh, The trophies will grant winners exclusive alpha access to the upcoming Neon District game. Again, the art is is really amazing. Um, 1 million coin, C-O-I-I-N. This is provided by C-O-I-N slash Atari Movie. And 100,000 Rust Bits. There was a puzzle that was related to this 100,000 Rust Bits, and the puzzle's been solved for that, so that is off the table. This is another project that's very cool-looking, Age of Rust Space Pirates. Um, It's a counterparty project. Third, on uh, February second, 2018, there was an article on IP Watchdog, which I I get, and this is uh, something that's near and dear to my heart. It is, uh, Can Blockchain Technology Solve Copyright Attribution Challenges of Digital Work? and she had you know was trying to come up with ways or she's thinking about how can um, this is by Dr. Haydar Mazor on uh, ipwatchdog.com looking at ways that there are practical solutions to copyright co- attribution problems attribution problems efforts are being invested in leveraging blockchain technology to resolve challenges associated with copyright attribution to provide acknowledgement of copyright of a digital work of art to its holder or author, so that's a that's a quote from the art from her article, and this is this is a big deal, especially for for digital art. It's it's attribution. So no matter what the situation is with the with the artist, whether they still retain copyright, um, and if they you know they sell their copyright or assign their copyright, the idea of being a- having that attribution so everyone into the future knows who the creator is is, is pretty important especially with digital works um, the problem they're trying to solve according to the article a digital work of art primarily exists in the form of intang- of an intangible artifact and the digital work of art may not fit the form of high stakes international trade market and we'll talk about that later with uh, Jess Holgrave which continues to rely on unique, original, tangible objects. And this is an area that needs certainly more investigation. Uh, quote again, since a digital work of art does not yield artifacts that can be easily owned and traded in a conventional sense, their value may not be appropriately estimated. And this, again, with any kind of um, trading, um, having a, an accurate representation of the value of the work is, is pretty important. Um, the difficulty with this model of this decentralized uh, blockchain data is the idea of trust of the group. You still have to develop a reputation, so it doesn't matter what kind of platform you're using, people have to trust that the information in the, that is being stored is, is accurate and reliable. So she looks at a product called N-Core, or sorry, N-K-O-R. And the product aims at utilizing a decentralized, cryptographically secure database, blockchain-based technology to document the recordation, reproduction, distribution, and trade of digital artwork. So this it looks interesting. I um, went on to the NCore site, um, and we'll see we'll see what happens. I would uh, recommend that you that you check it out. Uh, number four, AOTB and James Waugh. An Introduction to Crypto Art, Crypto Music, and the Blockchain with special guests. Wall, who will be presenting Video Driving Progress Through Creativity. That's going to be on April 21st. We talked about that. We got a meetup link at the, uh, in the notes section. And then finally, Creative Tech Week. We're announcing it again next month. It's going to be from May 3rd to the 12th. Crowdfunded event. Installation locations throughout uh, New York City. May tenth, AOTB will be there. That's
1: That's the news. That's the yep. art on the blockchain news. Awesome. <laughs> so all the links will be at the bottom of the podcast. Um yeah, so check it all out. Uh we oh one other thing I forgot to mention, we put up a Bitcoin address for donations. Oh and some people donate. Wow. <laughs> that is amazing. So they help cover tonight's uh cost maybe. Or maybe we'll just hold it and, and let it go Let's see what up happens. Or down, yeah. Or d- we don't
3: want to even think about that. <laughs> go up, go up, go yeah, up.
1: Yeah, so um, thank you. And if anybody cares, you can look on our Twitter profile. And at the bottom of this podcast, we have a Bitcoin address. Um, should we have more addresses up? Should we do the whole scope? Yes, yeah, sh- all of them. Yeah, like... <laughs> 2,000. I've seen some people put up like three addresses, like a Litecoin, Ethereum, a Bitcoin, or Monero... Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash or something. But um I don't know, we make it easy. If you have Bitcoin, send to us, <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Maybe
1: we'll put up an Ethereum one too. Yeah. You know, Ethereum's not going anywhere either. In fact, let's get into a Ethereum conversation right now. Welcome Jess Holgrave of The Codex Protocol. we a very, very busy woman. Um we're lucky enough to have her call in right now i think it's a later time for her so uh thank you jess and you're
0: welcome thank you for having me it's uh it's midnight here so i might not be quite as sharp as i would be first thing but uh <laughs> it's great speaking with you
1: yeah you too um so yeah i guess uh let's first of all uh, codex is basically um working on uh auctions and provenance on the blockchain
0: yeah that's right um we are a decentralized title registry for the art and collectibles market. Um, so our focus is really on storing provenance in a way that becomes easily verifiable. Um, provenance for people who don't know is really around the identi- uh, the kind of identity of the item, its authenticity, where it's been, who sold it, um, all things which kind of contribute to value. And are really, really important to to research and understand when you're operating in this market, and things which the bro- the blockchain can be really helpful with with uh, with that information. And, and so we've focused on auctions first. Uh, we've put together a consortium of auction software providers uh, for whom we've built an application which will allow them to accept cryptocurrency um, and will. Uh, kind of kickstart the Codex as a title registry but over time we really want to work with uh, with a whole bunch of different people in
1: the industry great yeah I was reading um, Art Gnome Jason Bailey's uh, article um, and I actually used some of it in our uh, intro to crypto art and crypto music on the Providence and the Codex stuff that he uh, talked about the, I guess a uh, big feature for what it offers is a single point of documentation and access right
0: yeah, yeah, yeah it's really uh the way that a lot of it's done in the industry at the moment is literally through people like holding on to paper receipts uh maybe some catalog entries um and there's data about these items kind of all over the place so if you go and have it re- you know say you have a painting that's been damaged and you have it restored There'll be some documentation around and data around that item that's in the possession of the person who did the restoration for you. Um, When you exhibit it at a museum, for example, there'll be data and information, but none of that necessarily stays with the item, despite it being really, really important Mm -hmm. for the value of that item. And just for the kind of history and, and knowing what that item is. And so what we're trying to do is create a means by which the owner of an item can really easily and efficiently put all of that information, whether it's about uh, its condition, whether it's about a sale, about insurance, um, any, uh, an appraisal, any of those things, um, we want to that data to kind of belong to that item and for it to be easily transferable with that item.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. What um, what blockchain is Codex using?
0: So we're built on Ethereum. Um, we use non-fungible ERC-721 tokens as the means by which to create an identity for each item. And then to that, we can hash all the associated metadata to make sure that we can verify it.
1: What um, what is ERC seven twenty one to? If you can explain, I've been hearing a lot uh, about that lately, but I'm not even I I have no idea what it is. Really, I know it's a new protocol, I guess. Sure,
0: I can try. I'll caveat it by saying that I'm not a developer, right?
2: Um,
0: But um, when we think about the Ethereum blockchain. The first kind of well-known standard that we all really understood was an ERC-20 token. Um, that was a kind of token that was issued. Um, you could issue a certain amount of them, and they are all the same. So you could think of them like, say, like a $1 bill. Um, there are lots of them. What uh, Any single $1 bill is exactly the same as another, um, and you could kind of switch them in and out, as it were. Um, with ERC 721, um, that's a non fungible token standard. So it's a new kind of standard and set of approaches for non fungible tokens built on the Ethereum blockchain. And by non fungible, what we really mean is that no two are the same. I like having one mm. and switching it out for another, like, wouldn't be okay. Um, the. Most kind of well known, or I guess, um, what one of the things that kind of helped push this forward was CryptoKitties. They are very much built, you know, one CryptoKitty is very has a unique identity um, and isn't the same as another CryptoKitty. And you can think of that at, that's at okay. the SD721 as well. Um, and Really, it means that you can create unique items using tokens without having to kind of um, in a more efficient way than issuing lots of different ERC twenty tokens. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, actually, you, the way you explained it with the crypto kitties actually totally cleared that up for me. Yeah,
0: boy.
1: <laughs> I hope they, I hope the listeners understand too now. Um,
0: I hope they do too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, if I have an art piece and like. I sell it, and I want to start documenting it. How would one go about doing that using codex? Like, how would we start the process?
0: So, um, there are a couple of ways to start um, a codex title. Um, the platform's designed so that anyone can build on it, firstly. Mm-hmm. So, I think over time, there'll be lots and lots of different ways that people can register titles. Um, from the outset, uh, the first application that will go live Will be with our auction partners. So items that sell with those auction partners will create a title. Okay, party people in the house. For other people who want to create the title, once the platform goes live, which uh, which will be this summer, um, anybody will be able to create their own title using one of a variety of different applications that are built on Codex. So you'll be able to go in establish an identity to the item that you want to create an identity for. You'll be able to link it in various different ways. You'll be able to add data about that item so that you can kind of start building up this record.
1: Is this something that users can build and it doesn't have to be dev-based?
0: So I think at first it's likely that um, most of the applications will be kind of built by developers we 're really keen to support as many people using it as possible, um, and we have plans in place to make sure that it 's easy and simple um, and that we can really encourage as much activity as possible.
3: I actually have used live auctioneers I bought quite a few things, so it was kind of interesting to see that in your um, in the white paper that you that they 're one of the uh, Supporters of this of this platform, and so when I was reading that the uh, the software was going to be embedded in their sites, um, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask: is how having the software embedded, I guess Biddable is going to be embedded in their, or does that mean that that it's going to be formatted for the benefit of live auctioneers, patrons, or can people who are not buying from live auctioneers use? the software to build title
0: so I think that's uh, what I want to make the distinction between is the codex platform and the biddable application okay so the codex platform is where these titles will exist okay um, and on top of that platform there'll be uh, we hope lots of different applications some of which we want to build and are building and others we know of some other people who are starting to build Um, And we hope over time, um, lots and lots of different people will build applications that sit on that layer and use those titles. So for people who aren't buying through Live Auctioneers, there'll be a way to create a title. It won't be through the biddable application. Um, It'll be through another application. Um, We're working on one, which is a very simple kind of title viewer application at the moment, which will allow people to create titles. And there are several others which the title creation will be a part of.
3: Okay, so... When
0: uh, it comes to Biddable and Live Auctioneers, we've worked with Live Auctioneers and Auction Mobility, who are two software providers in the auction space, to develop an application which um, (laughs) helps them to access that title registry. So Biddable is essentially kind of built and linked to the title registry it does some other things too. So it firstly will enable people to register quickly and easily using cryptocurrency. And secondly, it will allow people to actually buy items that are sold on those platforms using cryptocurrency. So within that application, there's a few different functions. And I think as we see more applications, they'll all contain different functions for different end users. but. Underlying them all will be this Codex platform, which holds the title.
3: Okay, so right right now, there's no. If I had a piece I wanted to enter into the uh, the Codex uh, title registry, there isn't an interface for me to do that right now. On my not, out, outside of the auction, not space. till
1: summertime, right?
0: There will be in summer.
3: Okay, yes, exactly. Okay, because one of my questions was what, what were the minimum requirements to meet your standards for the registry, but I guess that will probably be in the, the interface coming out in the summer.
1: Well, are there minimum standards, or is it just uh, it's a decentralization? Anybody can do well, it, I mean, right? I guess yeah. I mean
3: the minimum documentation requirements, because uh, I would imagine how do you show what is your evidence of having possession and what is your evidence of having ownership? I mean, I'm sure there's... It would ha- In regular physical world, there's certain pieces of paper or yeah. documents that e- are evidence of your ownership or possession. And I was I guess wondering... Explain okay, that. party people in yeah. the house. Yeah, sure.
0: I think... Um- this is a really interesting, an interesting point and one that we really grappled with. What we've settled with is actually allowing anybody to create a title and upload as little or as much information as they want. Yeah. That might seem um, a little surprising that anyone can just create the title, but we're still operating in an industry where these items are physical items Um, for the most part will be traded through an intermediary. So when you go to buy a work of art, you'll be buying that work of art and receiving that digital information with it. Um, That digital information will help you make a decision about that artwork. So to the extent that somebody's created a record which doesn't have any useful information in it, you just won't attribute any value to that. You won't trust it. to the extent that you have documentation to prove your ownership, which by the way, um, might seem very obvious to people who, um, you know, we're used to receiving receipts and documentation for things that we buy, but very often in the armed collectibles world, people don't actually have any documentation to prove that they own these things. And so, um, people may or may not have the associated paperwork. But they may have images of the item. They may have an insurance record of the item. Um, And so we don't have a minimum standard that people have to meet. Um, We're not trying to uh, kind of remove the need for a buyer to analyze that information. We're just making it easier for them to do so.
3: Okay. Yeah, it was... It was interesting to me because I was thinking of the need for title generally in you know regular world would be if you're getting a loan for something and trans- and the title wouldn't be in your name or wouldn't be issued to you yes. until you paid or title is is generated by a third party usually the government or or a company that for example when you buy a car the title would uh, come out of you know be generated out of the The dealership and things like that. And so I'm just thinking about the uh, usual types of evidence for, uh, you know, title. But then the other aspect of this, and that was the other part of my question, was going to be possession because you can say that you have these things, but possession of it is a completely different thing Um, (laughs) because you don't, you might claim ownership, but do you have, do you actually have possession? Um, is that's the, and that's an interesting, you know, that was an interesting legal point for me that I was, that I was interested in, but you kind of answered, uh, that in, in to the extent that, well, of course you can take a picture of anything and submit it and it may not be, it may not be in your house. Um, so, so I guess from that perspective, are you guys going to go through the registry and like strike things that just are ridiculous? Yeah. Is there
1: a curation aspect of it?
3: We don't
0: see it as our function to, um, to curate or to um, say what can and can't be on the registry. Um, at the application layer, the users of the app or even the application developers may or may not set some minimum standards. So to your point around um, to taking out a loan on an item, because that's a really obvious use of a title registry, and that's one of the is- That's one of the reasons why asset-backed loans in the uh, in the art and collectibles market are very few and far between. It's very hard to do. It's very expensive to do, and it's very time-consuming. And that's because there is no title registry at the moment. So you can imagine an application which works on the Codex Title Registry, where. Codecs kind of can become the title standard, um, there could be an application which facilitates you know adding liens to titles uh, in the form of an asset-backed loan. Um, a minimum standard for a title to engage with that app might be higher. So if you have that app and you want to make loans against items, you might specify that the information you need could constitute you know, a receipt of sale or some sort of legal documentation. Sure. Um, and that could be a requirement for people who are using those titles within that application. But at the title registry layer, the codex layer, we don't do that um, because we just want as many people to, to kind of be creating these titles and be able to use them. Um,
2: but different
3: apps may have different requirements. So there's there's a possibility that the apps will develop a reputation for the elements that would be necessary. As an as an example, if you needed to get title insurance, let's say that that you know that was something you were interested in, yeah. to, um, and there was an app that said, "Okay, we are we can assist you with getting title insurance on this, you know, hundred thirty thousand dollar piece of art." This is the. These are the things that you need to show in order to get title insurance. You know, and then it's and then the title registry is on you alls the, the codex protocol, but the app out of necessity be the reliable thing because the app is making some requirements that actually point to the the registry as support.
0: Correct. Exactly. Okay. So the registry becomes um, essentially kind of like where this documentation is stored or held um, and uh, an app could help people kind of develop uh, a a, a codex title that's sufficient to do those things. Um, So there will be some codex titles which don't have very good information on them, for sure. Um, There'll be some codex titles which are created and, um, you know, people won't, Use them in all the different applications in all the different ways. Either because they don't want to or they have no need to. But for some people who want to do these things, who want to insure items, they want to um, borrow against them, um, to do those actions. You may need a kind of a more developed, a more um, you know, strong title in the sense of you know all the associated documentation you need um, and. That would enable you to do more things with that
3: pencil. Okay, so you would also potentially also have an app that was the other thing I was interested in, and I guess a lot of my questions are coming from the white paper, if you can't tell. But the part of the issue was um, the terms of the terms of the sale. So that would be something generated separately. You all are not engaged at all in determining whether something's licensed, whether. You know the the copyright is transferred with the sale of the of the art, all that kind of stuff. You guys are not involved with the terms of the sale.
0: No, 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 no. Again, we're not a a marketplace. Okay. Um, we want to work with marketplaces. Um, we're working with insurance, um, uh, with auction companies. Um, we envisage there being many marketplaces utilize Codex infrastructure but the sale of a work would necessarily be a contract between two parties operating within that marketplace Um, not with Codex as a counterparty to that
3: yeah because I was just thinking with the the auction houses because that there's an advantage and disadvantage of knowing how how terms and conditions should work <laughs> um, <laughs> but then when you you know I know that there if I buy something from live auctioneers, I know I know what I can and cannot do with what I buy right i I know that because i that's what I do, but on the from uh your average consumer may not know what they can and cannot do with with certain items that they that they purchase. So that might so that might be something that live auctioneers develops because I I'm envisioning something like this is really to avoid some of the the ongoing dilemmas with regard to what you can and cannot do with things. Um, but maybe that's that something that would be coming out of the auction houses where part of the terms and conditions become referenced from your blockchain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think does. Um, there's so much possibility. Um, I think having terms of sale included as part of this provenance, as part of that record, um, like you say, could be um, you know a real way to solve some of those issues um, and, and make sure that people can access them, refer to them, verify where they came from, um, and, and know that they're referring to the... To the right
3: document. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Now, I have just one last question off the white paper. Um, dispute resolution. Um, if, again, would that be something that if anybody is disputing anything going on in the registry? Because I actually really liked your white paper. Um, it was, uh, it, it Crossed, dotted a lot of I's, crossed a lot of T's. Um, They were, I was really appreciative of um, acknowledgement of the the limitations because a lot of people have just a lot of, you know, blue sky thinking everything's going to be perfect and there's never going to be any problems. And that was not the case in in reviewing this, but that was one area that, and again, it's no, uh, it's not. Necessarily anything that would be in a white paper, but that was one of the first things I came to mind after reviewing it. Was what happens if if someone is disputing the registry?
2: So
0: I think um, it would depend on the context and uh, and exactly what was being disputed. Okay. Um, I think um, if it was uh, if there was an action that had taken place within an application, um. That application might be responsible for dispute re- resolution. I think it's a really interesting one, and um, and and something that we've been thinking about. And part of why we're putting together the Codex Consortium is to make sure that we have um, representation from a really wide group of knowledgeable stakeholders um, from the industry. So live auctioneers and auction mobility are our two founding members and over time we want to add um, add to that um, in the form of other industry partners and, and knowledgeable players. And I think the consortium will play a really important role in um, in those kinds of things, in setting best practices and standards um, and in making these sort of, um, whether it's direct dispute resolutions or setting standards for how that should be done. Um, we are, you know, we're really keen to make sure that this works for the whole industry, um, and that's why we're putting together the
3: consortium. Yeah, that, that's kind of an interesting idea, too, that people will say, well, we have to have support from the community, we need to have an active community community, And then making, but making a consortium that you've actually identified people who are participating versus hoping that people come and help, is uh, is a good good approach because then you can have some diversity in the in the overall you know thinking, and then you also are building up trust because within the consortium, hopefully the people are trust each other um, and can and rely on their expertise. So that could that's you know obviously a really a a good point and a good thing to have.
0: Yeah, I think we very much take the approach that we want to build something that's useful. Um, There are a lot of ways that you can imagine, you know, how you can make this better, but I think really to build technology that is likely to be adopted and that um, can really make it an impact, um, the best way to do that is is in conjunction with the people who need it and who would use it. Um, Because that way we can kind of really design um, a system that um, is functional and is actually going to get adopted, most importantly. (laughs)
2: Hey, 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 this is Dante
0: from
1: Counterparty fame, and you're listening to Skrilla and Cynthia, Art on the Blockchain. Yo, this is Drop Blister, and you're tuned in to the crypto creative podcast, Art on the
3: Blockchain, with your hosts, Cynthia Gaydon and Jay Skrilla. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen,
1: this is Sean Leary, and you're listening to Art on the Blockchain with Jay Skrilla and Cynthia
3: Gayton.
1: Is the reason that it's being built on the blockchain mainly because of decentralization?
0: I think the reason that it's being built on a blockchain goes back to why we need a title registry. And there's no title registry that currently exists in the uncollectible asset class. class. Um, And so if you imagine, you know, like your house, how hard it would be to buy a house if you couldn't prove that the person before you actually owned it. Mm Um, how would you get a mortgage on it? How would you insure it? Um, all of those sorts of things um, are problems that people in the art world face every day. And so there's a really clear need for a title registry. But the reason that one hasn't existed to date is because people aren't willing to trust other people with that data. Um, institutions are unwilling to trust each other with their client lists. Collectors are unwilling to trust institutions with details about the works that they own. Um, And privacy is is just very, very important in the context of the art world for many people. And so what blockchain uh, can enable for the first time, really, is a way of proving some of this information whilst also retaining privacy and security over that information. And I think that's really why blockchain uh, is a a wonderful solution
1: to uh, some of these problems. All right, so if I have a... So, in other words, if I wanted to be an anonymous artist and register a title and keep it anonymous, then that's all possible through Codex. Yeah. Gotcha. Absolutely. Cool. So, um get a little bit away from that what um you've been doing a lot of traveling what have you been doing and where have you been going oh,
0: yeah. I have been doing a lot of traveling um I've been traveling all around the world at the moment um I've been in Asia Europe and the US um meeting um wonderful new partners uh supporters of the project potential consortium members team members um so it's been a, um, a really productive time traveling. We announced yesterday that we are doing uh, an auction. Um, we're partnering with Consensus and with um, Rare Art Lab yeah. to do an auction at Ethereal Summit this year. So one of the things that I have been doing over the last several weeks is meeting with and working with artists who um, have very kindly donated some really amazing work for that auction, um, and trying to uh, trying to pull that auction together. So I'm really excited about that.
1: What date That's is That's been
0: taking up. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Sorry,
1: what, what date is that? Is that the twelfth or something?
0: It's May twelfth. Okay. Um, it's taking place in New York but there will be a way that people who aren't in New York uh, or who aren't at the auction will be able to participate. Um, and so uh, so we're really excited to make some more announcements over the next few weeks about how people can how people can actually participate and also uh, about some of the, the cool work that we have.
1: So where can they go? Where can our listeners go to uh, if they want to participate? Where, where, where would they look at all like, to keep up on all that?
0: So the best place to go right now is to probably follow us on Twitter, at Codex Protocol. Um, we'll have a landing page which is all about the auction going live, um, going live shortly, which will tell everybody uh, exactly how they can participate in the auction, um, but. Uh, all the announcements related to that will be put out on our Twitter.
3: Cool. Does that include the art that's going to be up for auction? Are you announcing that or uh, is it a surprise?
0: Yes. That will all be disclosed uh, before the auction. So ah. you'll be able to um, look at the items, uh, read about them, read about the artists, read about the significance of those items. Um, and uh, and hopefully then
1: participate in the auction too. Are you all auctioning off a DJ Pepe cardboard cutout? That was uh,
0: that was gonna be my question for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am a rare I, I am a rare art lab featured artist. I I, I
3: should,
2: <laughs> <talk about> that. <laughs> well we'll follow up.
3: Yeah yeah that would be interesting. So speaking of that how because so much has has spun off of that that event in in January,
1: uh, the Rare Art Festival, the
3: Rare Art Festival that yeah. you know, we we continue to to talk about that. But I think you need to be asked how you felt up on stage.
1: With... Yeah, how, how did you feel about being on stage with a <laughs> <With the> cardboard <laughs> meme? We've had to ask the other uh, yeah. guests who are
0: sharing the stage. Hey, I think it was an unusual stage for for a number of reasons. Oh, yeah. um, we had four Jessies,
2: yeah. uh, yeah. in some
0: way, shape, or form, and a, and a cardboard a cardboard <laughs> cutout. So uh, it was very unusual. Yeah. Um, and um, but like, what a fantastic day! I think it really highlighted for me um, how amazing and passionate so many of the people in this space are. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I don't think, I think we'll all look back on that day as a really special one. Mm-hmm. Um, as kind of kickstarting a lot of the things that are happening in this space. Um, and, and also a lot of us meeting each other for the first time in person, which was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I hope that there are many more, uh, events like that to come.
1: Definitely. It seems like, uh, the second week of May, or, if, yeah, I guess it's the second week of May. There's going to be a lot going on up there in New York, too. So yeah, I'm sure everybody will run into each other again here.
0: I think there is. There's a, a Crypto Creative Day as mm-hmm. part of Creative Tech Week. Right. Um, that's the Ethereal Auction. I know Rare Art Labs has uh, an event also um, earlier on in that week. So... Um, plenty to keep everybody occupied and interested
1: yeah and then they got consensus I guess the following week up there that's
3: right yeah Something, so are you gonna be up there the whole time or
0: yep I will be uh, I will be in New York um, for the first
1: few weeks of May where, where are you originally from Jess?
0: Um, so I'm based in London mm-hmm um, originally, I'm from just outside of London. I grew up in a um, a, a small town a couple of hours away, um, but London is home for me. Gotcha,
1: gotcha. How do you like America?
3: <laughs> yeah, I love question. coming to America. <laughs> um,
0: I'm really lucky at doing what I do because I get to travel all over the place um, and. Um, and and meet a ton of different people. Um, In particular, at the moment, I I travel a lot to the West Coast. My co-founder, Mark, is based in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also spend a lot of time in in New York. Um, But our developers are in Dallas. um, And so I kind of, um, I'm getting to see a lot. And one of the things that I love to do when I travel, whether it's the U.S. or, or anywhere, is to find artists. Um, yeah. and, um, as I've been traveling around, I've met a ton of artists who work in this space. Um, and I also have, you know, friends who link me up with artists who live in different places, or I just go and try and find like a cool artist studio to see what's happening. And it's, it's a way that I really love to travel. Um, and so I don't get a ton of time to do it, uh, in the last few weeks, but, um, it's uh, it's always a pleasure to, to go and meet different people in different places.
1: What, what kind of art are you into? What is your preference?
0: So I have a couple of different things that I like. My long-standing passion is for old maps, mm. uh, which is kind of borderline <laughs>
3: art. Um, oh, sounds like synth- something Cynthia would be into. Well, hey, you know me well. It's been a year. <laughs> I, have, I, I We'll go into that later, but go on about maps because they're awesome.
0: <laughs> um, I've collected old maps for a while um, for me there's something about you know travel and, and different places and different things but also the fact that very often they represent kind of the frontier of human knowledge at the time that they were being created um, and there's something about looking and, and being in the presence of an old map that I just find Uh, kind of awe-inspiring um so I so I really love them I also um I, I I love artists whose work um well I guess one of my favorite artists at the moment is an artist called Idris Khan um he produces really beautiful work which is all around the theme of identity and what it Means to be a person in a place at a particular time. Um, and that's something that's really resonated with me over the last couple of years. And um, there are several artists for whom that's kind of a theme and a topic in their work. Um, and so a few of those
1: artists are kind of at the forefront of my mind at the moment. He does mostly like um, black and white stuff? Yes. I'm looking yes. at it now. Yes. Yeah,
3: cool. What's the last name?
1: Khan, K H A N. Khan. Khan. Yeah, that's cool. Um, for the Codex Protocol, I was thinking, um, are you all going to be doing only physical, or are you also going to be doing like, um, you know, the how a lot of people are doing, like the gifts and stuff like that? Or is that going on, or digital art?
0: Our focus right now is very much on physical and um, art and collectible Okay. Um, so it's art, it could be um, fine wine. Um, a whole bunch of different things. Um, I think um, the work that's happening in the digital space right now is just amazing. Um, there are some really amazing projects for whom digital art is a real focus. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing that would stop people registering digital art on Codex 2, um, and we hope that might happen, because I think, over, you know, I'm a big believer in, in digital art, becoming, um, you know, a much more of a mainstream part of the art world, um, and I think there's definitely a role for it within Codex, um, and, but right now it's not our focus, um, and I hope that over time we'll continue to partner with uh, with great people who are more specialized in that.
3: Yeah, mm. I hope something happens with it, because, you know, when you have a, a digital, digital native piece, and you have rarity built in, and having a registry that can really exploit that, and have some place where people can go to see similar projects. You know, if they could go to the registry and see how somebody else with a with a, a limited edition of digital uh, art, would be that'd be a great resource just for them to learn. Okay, this is how that was done. And then it builds up a body, you know, of pieces that are done that way because that, to me, is going to be the hardest. I think it's a lot more difficult for the digital assets, limited edition, than physical things because you can, of course, tell on a physical object if there's been a ding in the, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the frame or something like that, or was there a downstroke over here when there shouldn't have been. I also think with photography, it's another um, issue because even though photography. Uh, there might be some variations but you can make an identical in many ways an identical uh, version of a photo um, even if it's not a digital digital photo and I think that's another thing that would really be able to take advantage of something like this like this service so um, Absolutely. You
0: know. Yeah, I think Somebody I needs to do that.
2: <laughs> somebody
3: i so shouting out to we, put it in the universe. <laughs> we,
2: yep.
0: We we would love all of this stuff to uh, to to be built with or uh, somehow with codecs. Um, and so, if there are people out there who want to build this stuff with us, uh, get in touch.
1: Yeah, I, I got a. I bought a limit. I talked about it on the last show a little bit, but I bought a limited edition gift from an artist, um, X Copy, and uh, that's his name name of the artist. Oh my god! He. Um made it it's a one of one and I bought it off them for ethereum and it's on the ascribe platform, which I think is not being developed on anymore and they're moving to another place i'm not exactly sure it's oceans or something like that um but yeah, I was kind of like what do i you know I like it and I like it a lot it's a good piece of art but and it's a digital it's a gif but i'm trying i'm trying to f- figure out a way to um you know, have it in my house, like, you know, put it through a uh, viewer or, um, like Cynthia said, if it could be on the blockchain or, or not on a registry somewhere where people could see it or, but, but without having it because right, you could download it. You can, can right click and <laughs> download the GIF and then everybody has it. Well, you
3: have to put sunglasses on it. So I'm like, what? what? <laughs> and, then,
1: you know, I know when I bought it, like, this was kind of an experiment for me. Like, I, I, I bought it knowing that, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know the future of it. It could be
3: you know, Who knows what's gonna worthless
1: happen. if it, you know, a bunch of prints of it come out. Because I did see it's on yeah. Giphy too. So I mean, it's out there. But I own the, I guess, the original. Like, I guess the uh, master copy. The but artist how, proof, maybe. But <laughs> how do you prove that? And I'm just trying to, I guess, explore in my mind how that is valuable and how it could be valuable.
0: Yeah, yeah you know, I think. Um, there's always this question of, um, you know, just having lots of things out there make it more or less valuable. I think when you can prove that you have the the original one, um, you um, that that still has value, even if there are millions of other copies. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the Mona Lisa's image is everywhere doesn't devalue the original Mona Lisa. Sure. Um, and I think that's the same for most art. I think art is there, and people should see it and enjoy it. Um, and for um, you know, privileged people who are in a position to own original art, I think that
1: um,
0: you know, there's no reason why those two things can't coexist.
1: Yeah, there needs to be a platform built to make it to make it obvious, though, because like, like literally, the GIF I have and the GIF that's on Giphy, I'm unsure how to tell those. How you be able How to tell the difference. How to prove them, yeah. yeah. So like,
0: um, again, I think there are some amazing platforms that are coming out at the moment, mm-hmm. wh- which will enable that uh, in a much yeah. more easy and, uh, and transparent way. Um, and, uh, you know, I really hope that that makes an impact for digital artists, too, because I think once that does become easy, um, it becomes more attractive to own these works. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the amazing creators who are, who are producing them will start really getting rewarded for, for the work that they're doing.
1: Yeah.
3: Also help with anyone who wants to display. You know, if you want to have a, a rare digital art gallery show or whatever and you want to be able to show the, the work, in a way that you can either obscure some elements of it to so people, you know, you will know if somebody makes a copy of it because parts of it have been cut out or unavailable. If you take, you know, those kinds of things uh, that distinguish that, that piece. Because you could potentially do that if you could, you could build a frame that displays the work. I was up at uh, Freeze last May and there were Raspberry Pis running um, displays. Yeah. And if you could control the, the how the image is projected, that is a way to kind of limit your the infringement opportunity. Because if you if you skew it, if you only show you show eighty um, percent of it, then nobody then you'd be able to tell that somebody you know used that particular piece, especially with the digital with digital art. But um, but that you know that takes some effort to come up with with ways to. Of course, make people feel comfortable buying the art.
1: You need to be able to be- embed yeah. some kind of annoying sound every time you, <laughs> you take a piece of art and you try to display it, and it like it, it, it like slaps you, slaps you through the computer, or something. It, like plays a ear that a sound that's terrible to human ears or something. Yeah, nails on a blackboard.
3: Oh,
1: alert! Alert!
3: I look
0: forward to seeing that in practice. <laughs>
1: That's a, that's a shout to all the developers out there um, that's a free idea there you go. Just giving away
3: an amazing idea yeah, to
1: about. So, so doable
2: a
3: motion detector for anybody who, god no that'd be no there's there's just a there is a lot of opportunity what what do you think about the the slowdown in the interest in the currency aspects of it I, I think we've actually had more um, meaningful conversations about this space since the currency's been kind of doing weird things?
0: Yeah, you know, I think, um, I guess I think two things. I am a really big believer in the long-term potential of this technology, Um, not just from a digital currency perspective, but for all the things we've discussed, you know, IP protection, um, enabling people to monetize their work and their data more effectively. Um, you know, it, there's so much that this technology can do, and uh, it's important not to, um, you know, associate the technology just with whatever the price of digital currency is right now. Right. Um, I think what was happening um, in December time. Uh, you know, it was very exciting, um, but it often wasn't necessarily healthy, um, and I think it's natural that that cooled off a little bit. Um, you know, I think we would all like the markets to recover a little bit from where they are,
1: but but it's still way above what it was last year. This time, that's what people don't realize. Like, the news that people hear is like it's only like oh, it's crashed so much in three months ago, but all right, but it. It's still up like six to a hundred times since last year, last year.
2: Yeah. this time. so ex- ex-
1: Exactly. There is no crash. And, um, you know,
2: I
0: think so much moves so quickly in this space. Mm-hmm. Things change on a daily, weekly, hourly basis. Um, that it's important to step back and look at the big picture. Sure. And like you say, on a like, year-over-year basis, it's like extremely well. Um, and over time, I think, you know, we've seen some amazing projects come into the space. I think this cool-off actually stops some of the bad projects, which I think is also really good for the environment. And, um, you know, there are just there are more and more uh, amazing minds around the world beginning to think about this technology and how it can be used to, uh, to do really exciting things. And for me, that's kind of the essence. And I suspect we'll see, you know, a lot of volatility over the next few years. But um, you know, it's just it's a nascent space, and it's it's important that uh, that we're building uh, interesting and great projects
2: for
3: the future. Yeah. Did you did you, ed- you stumble into this space serendipitously, or did you plan on this? Um, these activities and being involved with the the project that you're involved with now was it circumstance or opportunity or was it something that you had thought through? It, it was
0: um it was very serendipitous. Um, I come from a finance and economics background, so I've always been interested in um, a economic systems and and how those systems work. And B, in finance and, and markets. Um, I came across the kind of cryptocurrency space through a friend who was investing in it several years ago. Um, and um, back then, it was still fairly kind of new. Um, for me, I was really fascinated by it as a um, in the context of, of finance. Um and as I learned more about it I was really fascinated by it in the context of the underlying technology. Um and so I really started just trying to learn as much as I could about the technology, thinking about ways that it could be applied. And I've been interested and involved with the art world for for many years as well and um as I was researching, I noticed that there were some people beginning to apply blockchain to the context of the art world, some very early projects, like a scribe. Um, and I sort of just went down this path of really trying to understand the impact that the technology could have on the art world. Um, and I wrote a master's dissertation thesis on on exactly that, on the applications of blockchain to the art world. Um, and that was really the um, you know, the means by which I, I went fully into the art and blockchain world and, and eventually um, you know, met my co founders and,
3: and started Codex. So there there you go, that's a master's degree put to good use
1: <laughs> <laughs> did, did you did you Did i remember you saying that you went to uh you graduated from christie's or sotheby's uh
0: something yeah so i did my um that master's degree at sotheby's institute of art mm-hmm. here in london um i worked at the auction house sotheby's at the same time um and that really gave me a lot of insight into um the art world from another business perspective um and um and you know it was a it was a great place to, to study and to to really start thinking about all of this stuff
1: very cool what um what made you go with ethereum over like a eos or a bitcoin or any of the other ones that are developing smart contracts is it just the network effect
0: um, I think there were a lot of things that we looked at. Again, I'm not the, uh, the, the lead technical person on right. the team, but um, there were a lot of things that we, that we looked at. I think um, for us, it was really important to have something that we could build on quickly mm-hmm. um, and efficiently because you're know, getting out there, getting a product in the market that we could use was, was, has been a big priority for us um that's why you know we are we'll have something by by may um and and we're, we're really proud of that and really excited about that and so we wanted something that would we would be able to definitely build what we're building is very much within the scope of the existing ethereum technology without you know big requirements for speed or scalability improvements um And, you know, I think we are, we maintain a philosophy of being very open-minded to um, new solutions. Um, And this space is changing so quickly that who knows uh, what they will be uh, going forward. Um, But for us, it was really important to to get something and and to get a real product out there that people could use. And I think Ethereum was a great platform to do that.
1: I guess before we get out of here, Jess, um, where do people, re- one more time, where do people reach you, find you? What's the website?
0: So um, people can follow me on Twitter, which is at Jesse Block. Um, I tweet all about blockchain and art. Uh, you can also follow us at, at Codex Protocol, and our website is www.codexprotocol.com.
1: Awesome. Alright, well, we enjoyed the conversation and uh, we'll see you in uh, about a month up in New York.
3: Right. Thanks so much
0: for having me. Um, yeah. It was a pleasure speaking with you and uh, yeah, um, we'll see you in New York and um, let me know if you want to auction a, another car for cut out <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Definitely.
1: I'll hit you on Telegram and we'll, we'll, talk, it, we'll talk it over. <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> Thank All right. you so much. All right, no, good Take night. Care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye.